This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Happy Father's Day! How's that for a mood changer? <laughs> yes! You know, I, I came across a quote this week that I wanted to read to you because I think it's really profound. Everyone knows the old saying, Mama ain't happy, what's the rest of it? Ain't nobody happy. All right. Yes. But there's a statement that probably deserves equal press time, and it goes like this. As dad goes, so goes the family. It's true. On the flip side, much of what's wrong in our nation and world could be corrected by just one generation of really good dads. Dads have a far bigger influence than many of us might expect. Take just a minute to absorb the impact of this one statistic about dads. When mom becomes a Christian in a family, 34% of the time, the rest of the family follows suit and becomes a Christian. But when dad becomes a Christian, 82% of the time, the rest of the family follows suit. That is in no way a sexist remark, okay? But I want you guys to know the amazingly important place you have in all of our lives. And so today, we not only celebrate what you've done and celebrate the fact that you're a dad, but today we celebrate the vastly important place you have in all of our lives. Let's give it up for our dads this morning. For those of you who are brand new, um, welcome, welcome to New Life. My name is Ron. Uh, I'm on New Life's uh, pastoral staff. I happen to be the founding pastor of our church, so I-, I love watching our church in action. I love watching what God's doing in and through our church, and all of us are excited that you're here, and, and we, we have a principle that I'm going to actually state in, in a simple statement this morning and, and it has to do with our guests. We're very excited that you're here. And the statement goes like this. If you're here, you're in. You don't have to earn your way in. You don't have to have any previous experience in a church. Nothing I'm going to say or teach you this morning is going to go flying over your head. Um, if you're here, you're in. You belong here just as much as the rest of us. So welcome to the journey. We assume if you're in church... You want to learn, and so I'm going to walk you through some resources that will help you learn. But most of all, I want you to relax and enjoy yourself and and recognize that God has a purpose for you being here, and that purpose is that you would draw closer to Him, you would learn more about Him, and you would actually learn more about how to live life in such a way that, that you get the most out of it and you can live it in the healthiest way possible. Jesus himself said it like this, I came so that people could experience life to its fullest. And that's really what we're dedicated to every single Sunday. Two uh, resources I want to point you to. The first is uh, this sheet of of notes. I want to encourage you. We want to do everything we can to enhance your learning experience. I can tell you every Sunday at New Life is a learning experience. We're not going to come and review things that you already know. We're going to teach you principles 
that probably you've never heard before, not because they're, they're new, they're in the Bible, but for instance, I'm going to lay out a principle for you this morning that I've actually never taught on, and I've been in ministry 45 years, and I've actually never heard anyone teach on this particular, um, this particular aspect of what I'm going to talk about this morning. So that's why we provide the teaching notes. The second uh, resource is this card. Uh, it's provided so that all of us can have direct access to our pastoral staff uh, as, as uh, well, I'm teaching you this morning on a subject that if you're married, I know you know a lot about, relational struggle. Some of you didn't even get the irony of that. You're afraid to laugh, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, actually, all of us know quite a bit about relational struggle. Knowing what to do about relational struggle, that might be a different issue. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So as we're working our way through this, uh, boy, if God brings uh, something to mind and you think, wow, I really need God's help in this particular relationship in my life because it's struggling, well, go to the prayer request section and write down a prayer request, and our staff will pray about that relationship this week uh, for you and hopefully with you. Uh, if there's uh, something that you want information about that our church is doing, that's why we have that card. Uh, but it begins by all of us putting our name and our email address on the front if you're brand new or if your email address has changed so that when we get ready to respond to that, we actually have a person that we can respond to and know who that belongs to. Now, uh, for those of you who are brand new, we're going to take you right into the middle of a teaching series. This is the fifth week in a, in a series called Unwavering, and it's about leadership. And I'm not going to go back and review all the four prior weeks, except for one thing. I, I want you to know that everyone in the world leads. Everyone in the world has a circle of influence of people that are directly affected by the choices you make, directly affected by the comments that you say, directly affected by the attitude that you portray, uh, and it can be really positively led in wonderful directions if you will recognize the influence you have and leverage it for the benefit of the people that you influence. And that's really what leadership is. That's the biggest difference between leadership and manipulation. Manipulators manipulate the people around them in such a ways that it benefits the manipulator. Leaders continue to work and leverage the power they have as leaders for the benefit of the people that they lead. Leaders sacrifice, manipulators don't. That's a subject for another whole week. But all of us lead. And today... We're going to look at adding some leadership tools to our belt. We're going to look at adding specifically some leadership tools that have to do with the healthy resolution of relational struggle. Now we're looking at all of these principles through the life of a Bible character whose name was Nehemiah. He was a great leader, perhaps one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. And Nehemiah has a massive project that he's undertaking He's going to the city of Jerusalem, and he is going to rebuild the wall that was broken down. If I want you to picture with me a city, and there's a massive war that takes place around that city, and in the process of the war, the city walls are completely smashed, broken, and, and, and tumbled down. The city gates are taken out, put in a fire, put in a pile, and burned. There's, there's nothing left of the city wall but rubble. Uh, and, and broken stones, 
But there's one piece of information that we haven't given you yet, and that is that that all took place 70 years prior, and in the succeeding 70 years, no one has touched anything. I want you just for a moment to imagine your backyard after 70 years of no one touching it. Can you imagine the mess of briars and brambles? And it was, it was the city wall wasn't just nice stones that were sort of broken down and left in a nice neat pile. There were 70 years of overgrowth over the top of those stones, and 70 years of erosion, and 70 years of of the freezing and thawing and and chipping away at those stones. It, it was a massive project that Nehemiah undertook and a very tough sell. But the people got on board with Nehemiah and they said, we're in and they started to work and so forth. And, and, and the wall started to take shape. And then last week we took a look at what happened because there were actual physical enemies that organized an army and they threatened to come and to destroy the Jews if they continued to work on the city wall. And we talked about how to lead in uncertain times and when when you don't know for sure what the outcome was. And Nehemiah has met that challenge head on and the people have rallied and they've taken extraordinary measures and they've developed new plans, but they have stayed at it. And God is blessed and the wall now is up to half of its height and there's no breaches in it. It's solid all the way around the city. And the people are beginning. They, they can see the finish line. And, and, and I'm sure Nehemiah can see the finish line. And Nehemiah is perfectly set up for what I call the sucker punch. Have you ever been sucker punched in life? When you, when you think everything is going well. And wow, we're going to actually do this. And all of a sudden, bang, you get hit with something you never even imagined. Well, that's where we pick up the story here in Nehemiah chapter 5. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. Wow, Nehemiah did not see that coming. Dealt with the enemies out there, dealt with the big vision to cast, but oh my goodness, the last thing he expected was for the people that were working on the wall to begin grumbling and complaining about each other. Here's what Nehemiah knew, and I, it's the principle that underlies everything I'm going to teach you today, and that is relational struggle on the team always jeopardizes the mission. Always does. Whenever I think about this, I think about another Old Testament character in the Bible, Noah. He's the guy that built the big boat, took all the animals in there. When Noah first got in the ark I'm, and, and the lightning began to, to, you know, to flash and the thunder began to roll and the rain began to come down and there was a massive storm out there, I'm thinking Noah sitting inside the boat thinking, whoo, man, I hope this bolt holds up. And he's thinking that the greatest threat he has is the storm on the outside. But little does he know, it's not the storm on the outside that it's his, that's his biggest danger. You know what it is? It was the woodpeckers on the inside. Because those dudes could sink his boat. And more often than not, okay, we do better with dealing with outside stress than we do internal relational struggle. Listen to me clearly. When it comes to relational struggle, it's when the problems of life get personal. 
It's when our emotions get the highest. It's where we are the most vulnerable. And here's the most important one. And it's where we get hurt the deepest. Yeah. Everything I'm going to teach this morning is not difficult to understand. But I can tell you our biggest challenge is when internal relational struggle happens and the woodpeckers are the people that we love and they start pecking on us, it's going to be hard to remember the things that I'm teaching this morning because we will naturally want to be defensive and to get aggressive or to isolate. And whether our tendency is to get aggressive or to isolate, we will not actually move through relational struggle well with either of those mindsets. So I'm going to te- Nehemiah is going to teach us a much better way to handle that. So what does Nehemiah do when these people are doing this thing? By the way, here's an old poem that might help you get this in perspective. I heard it years ago. To dwell above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, now that's a different story. (laughs) That is the reality in which we live, right? All right? So what does Nehemiah do? The first thing that Nehemiah knows is, is this. I have to take action as soon as possible. Here's Here's how Nehemiah wrote it down. So then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. Dr. Brene Brown, who is, yes, who is one of the speakers on the coming global leadership retreat, fantastic teacher. I want you to hear this quote from her. She says, when we deny the story, it defines us. Let me break that down for us. If you have trouble in your marriage, and you deny and ignore that trouble, eventually it will define not only your marriage, but probably you. And you'll carry the hurts and scars with that the rest of your life, quite likely. If you have troubles, relational troubles, on a team at work, or if you have relational struggles in a study group at college, and you try to deny it or ignore it, or act like it doesn't exist, in the end, it will probably define your work team. It's what your work team will be known for, or your, st- or your work study group at college. It will more than likely define and, and determine the destiny of it. Okay, But listen to the rest of her quote. But if we own the story, we can write a brave new ending. That's brilliant, okay? So right here, right now, some of us need to take a relational struggle that that we're not doing well with, and instead of denying it or ignoring it or isolating from it, we need to actually own it in the sense of embracing it as a part of the reality of where we live. And if we are willing to own it and face up to it 
and deal with it, we can actually write a brave new ending. Does that sound good? That's awesome. I want to show you how this works in in Nehemiah's case. But here's the principle. The principle is this. Good leaders actually run to the problem. They don't run away from the problem. They don't avoid the problem. They don't try to deny the problem. Good leaders actually run to the problem. And last Sunday, we did a thing here in the afternoon called Taste of the Summit, where we took one of the talks from from last year's uh, Global Leadership Conference Summit, and and we actually uh, showed it here in the auditorium, and there was a hundred or so of us who took it in, and it was by Joseph Grinney on Crucial Conversations, and he taught us this great principle, and that is the health of an organization can be measured by the average lag time between when a problem is identified and when it is openly discussed for resolution. Now, water cooler time at work does not count. Okay? Complaining to your wife about the kids does not count. Okay? I'm continually amazed at how often people come into my office and say, Pastor, I really need some help. And it's either help in their marriage or it's help with with one of their children and something that's going on. And, and they will begin to describe the problem to me and they'll begin to describe, you know, how long it's gone on and how deep it is and how badly hurt they are by it and, and how unhealthy it is and, and so forth. And then I will ask them oftentimes a very simple question. I will say to them, well, when you discussed this with your wife, what did you say? Oh, I haven't talked with her. Hello. Or when you sat down and went over this with your child, how did you approach it with him? Oh, I haven't said anything to my kid. Listen, good leaders run to the problem. It's real quiet in here. Have you noticed that? Yeah. We need to think about that. Because if you want to measure how good a leader you are and how healthy your family is, how long is it between when a problem is identified by you or your husband or your wife or even one of the kids and when it's actually brought to the table and discussed for resolution. And the shorter you get that lag time, the healthier your family, your church, your marriage, or your organization will be. That's a simple principle, okay? And yet you got to remember it when relational struggle hits. So Nehemiah knows, i got to take some action, and I have to take it relatively quickly, but there's one problem. He does not know yet what action to take. He simply knows the clock is ticking and the quicker I can take action and the quicker I can take the proper action, the more likely it is to actually solve the problem and the less deeply hurt people will be because time tends to drive hurts deeper. That's the point. Now, so what does Nehemiah do next? He realizes, I got to go get the information because, you know, if I realize there's a problem and I just start shooting, eventually the problem goes away, but I have another problem, right? All these dead bodies, right? 
So I have to figure out what action to take. I've got to get the information. And in verses 3 through 10 of Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah discovers three things right away. And I'm not going to read that whole passage. It's up there on the screen if you want to read it. But Nehemiah discovers three things. Number one, he discovers that something he already knew. There's a famine going on. But what he didn't realize is that the people who were actually working on the wall did not have enough food to survive the famine. And that's a serious crisis that, that he has to deal with. The second thing that he, re, that he comes to understand is not only do they not have enough food, but many of them have actually mortgaged their land in order to be able to buy food from people who had it. So that means not only are the people hungry, they're in financial straits. And the third thing that becomes relatively obvious right up front is that some of the people are so financially strapped that they have actually loaned out or leased their children to indentured servitude to other people because they've already mortgaged their land and the only thing they have left is their kids. Wow, would that be a a tough group to lead? Yeah. I think it's pretty cool that they didn't complain till then. Yeah, that, that's amazing to me. But you know something? Nehemiah could have stopped right there. The first thing that Nehemiah did is he knew he had to separate facts from story. And by the way, when people are that desperate, sometimes the stories they tell have some facts and a whole lot of feelings in them. And some facts and, and a whole lot of, what shall I say, agenda behind them. And Nehemiah was doing his best as a leader to try to separate the facts from the story. Again, if you want more information about how to tell the difference between the facts and the story, okay, you can talk to me on the way out. No, better yet, I'll give it to you right now. You can go on YouTube and and you can search Joseph Granny's talk on crucial conversations. and, And he has a whole section in there on how to separate fact from story and why that's important. That's what, that's what Nehemiah did, but Nehemiah did one other thing. Nehemiah recognized the truth that I taught you maybe two or three weeks ago, how that oftentimes the, the first 80% or 70% of the truth is obvious. Everybody knows it. The next 20% becomes almost immediately available when you start asking questions, but oftentimes it's the last 10% of the truth that actually connects all the dots and becomes the most important. And here's what Nehemiah found when he pushed a little deeper. He found out not only did the people not have enough food and they had mortgaged their land and some of them had even leased their children out to indentured servitude for food, but some of the Jews that they had leased their own Jewish children to got greedy and turned around and sold those children into slavery and deported them to a foreign country. Holy moly. Now the situation looks altogether different. That that was really serious. You know something? Nehemiah pushed. He wanted to get all the truth and even the last 10% of the truth. So that's where Nehemiah is. Now he knows I've got to take action. Now he knows these are all the facts. So what is Nehemiah going to do? This, my friends, is where you and I can get the most insight this morning. And that is, Nehemiah decides 
he needs to respond in what I call the healthy action zone. And I want you to circle the word, that phrase, healthy action zone, because that's what I want to teach us about for the next few minutes. There are three components in the healthy action zone, and when they come together in a beautiful blend, they move us to wonderful action, and most often it will actually resolve the relational struggle. But if we have one of the three or two of the three, usually it just blows up. So let's talk about what the healthy action zone might be like. Now here's how the Bible, here's how Nehemiah laid it out. When I heard their complaints, read the next words with me. Ready? I was very angry. Does that sound like a good place to start acting from? That looks like the head nod of experience. We've probably all done that, right? And left a wake of destruction behind us that may have taken years to undo, all right? He said, I was very angry, but look at the next phrase. What does it say? Let's read it together. After thinking it over. Does that sound better? Yes. Let's talk about this for a minute. There are three things that come together in this healthy action zone. And the first is anger. That was a hard one for me to learn because the home in which I was raised, I was taught anger is always bad. Well-intentioned parents, but they taught me anger was always bad. And whenever you start to feel anger, you have to get rid of it because it will lead you to do crazy things. Uh, Somebody challenged me on that. I went to work on that and, and realized the Bible says God's angry. So it can't be sinful because God doesn't sin. So if God is angry, why did he give us anger? Well, God gave us anger to move us to take action against injustice. Do you realize how sad this world would be if you and I could stand by and see injustice and there would be nothing in us that would motivate us to do anything about it? And we all were to sit there and go, wow, that's too bad. Yeah, no one would do anything. Now, anger is God's motivator. When you turned on your TV this, um, this week and you saw the story about the guy who walked into the church, the prayer meeting, and he shot and killed those nine people, how many of you got angry? I hope all of you did. Yeah. That ought to stir something in you that says, this is not right. You ever watch Apollo 13? You remember the famous line, not on, what's the rest of it? My watch. Man, I hope you have that in you. Not on my watch. Now here's the problem. When we take action right after this, you know what that often leads to? Riots and destruction. That doesn't actually solve the problem. It just makes it worse. Now, if you go to any form of recovery ministry or recovery group, they're going to teach you about HALT. And they're going to to teach you that there are four conditions 
that when the, any of those four conditions exist in your life, it's a very poor time to make a decision. Your temptations to do wrong will always be stronger, and usually the actions that you take during, during any of those four will end up to be destructive. And it's really easy to remember hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Okay? So, Nehemiah, what did he say? When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. (laughs) Dude was right here. And he goes, I need to take action, but I cannot take action now. Okay? But he realized that the anger that he felt on the inside was God nudging him to get up and do something about the injustice. Now, I need to teach one other thing before we move on to the next point. I want you to understand that anger is God's way of moving us to take action against injustice, not against unjust people. You might want to write that down. Okay? It's God moving us to take action against injustice. That's a deed. Not against unjust people. That's a deed doer. So how are we going to how are we going to take action? Uh, by the way, you can you can solve all of these. You need no degree to figure out how to solve hunger, right? You know how to fix that. Anger. I'm going to show you what to do with that in a minute. Loneliness. You know how to fix that. And tired. You know how to fix that. So not a good platform from which to act. The second thing that has to go into this healthy action zone is wisdom. God gave us wisdom to choose the right action to take. Got to move us to take the right action because contrary to popular opinion, doing something is not always better than doing nothing. Sometimes doing something actually makes it worse if it's the wrong something. And we can illustrate that so many ways. Wisdom is what God gives us so that we can take the right action. Now, a good place to start with wisdom is oftentimes God gives us an inner prompting or an instinct where we kind of know, ooh, that would not be a good action to take, or that one might be a good action to take. Everybody here in the audience has had an inner prompting that said, that's not the right action to take. But if we got angry enough, what did we do? We took it anyway, right? Of course, yeah. So God says, you got to pair anger with wisdom. Let anger motivate you. Let wisdom guide you. Another good thing to do is go to God's Word and find out if He has any principles in His Word that would talk about what would be a proper response to that. A third thing would be, go find some people that you know and that you respect and that you haven't already poisoned with gossip. Does that make sense? The last thing you want to do is get your friends all angry and then ask them for advice. That's going to help. No. Okay? Go find some people that you love and respect, that you haven't already gotten angry and gossiped to, and then you ask 
to borrow some of their wisdom and some of their experience because as you pull this together, okay, God is going to give you a pathway of wisdom that will help you take the right action toward this injustice. But you have one other thing that you have to do and that needs to go in the mix, and that is love. Now, I want to tell you right away that it's very easy to love the person who's been hurt or treated unjustly. But that's not what this love is about. That love will actually make you angry. Okay, The love that you need is you actually need to love the person who's doing the offending. And that's a lot harder. Because if you don't, if you don't love them, you will not have the right context to go and actually sit down and discuss and come to a resolution. And in fact, you will go and you will sit down and you will give them a piece of your mind. Because God knows you have more mind than you need anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. See, the idea is not to give someone a piece of your mind. The idea, listen, the greatest thing. Have you ever done something that was wrong? Yeah, you have. (laughs) Yes. Have you ever had someone come alongside you and partner with you in setting that right? And you got the idea and the feeling when they sat down with you that they loved you and they respected you and they cared for you. And they were simply there to help you fix something that you had broken? Yeah. That feels good. But you probably also had people who came to just set you straight. Which would you rather? Yeah, the first. Because the first person was in the healthy action zone. They might have even had anger about what you did. But because they processed that anger and combined it with wisdom and love, it moved them to take the right action and in the right context. And because they took the right action in the right context, motivated by this holy discontent or this holy anger about what you had done, they actually were able to partner with you and they were able to lead you in the, into this wonderful place of relational uh, resolution. That's what Nehemiah did. He called the meeting. He was angry. But after thinking it over, he, he, he started combining his anger with wisdom. I would assume he probably sat down with some of his trusted advisors and they talked about how, how are we going to approach this problem. He called the people together to the meeting. And you know what happened? Listen to this. The people who had been loaning money and, and held the mortgages on the land They said, you know what we're going to do? We're actually going to give the land back to the people during this famine. And they can pay us back after the famine is over. And the people that had sold the kids and deported them to a foreign country, they said, we're going to go to the foreign country. We're going to get those kids back. And we're going to bring them back here because we never should have done that in the first place. And we are going to set things right. And you know what the people said that had loaned the money? They said on top of that, When the people pay us back, we're not going to charge them any interest. Listen, when we deny a story 
It defines us. But if we own the story, we can write a brave new ending. Can you imagine a better ending than that? That's how to lead in relational struggle. Now, I want to give us a summary verse, and I'm going to encourage us in a few minutes to actually commit this to memory, because I want this to be in our subconscious, and when relational struggle hits, I want it to come right to the surface of our mind. What was that verse? Oh yeah, here it is. I want to read it to us. This is a good summary verse. Dear brothers and sisters, if another is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, by the way, that does not mean you who think you're holier than everybody else. You know what it means? You who have drawn close to God to the point that you are keenly aware of your own sinfulness and brokenness. And when you're aware that you're a sinner and no matter where you go, he finds you. Remember that song we sang this morning? Yeah. When you're aware of your own brokenness, okay, then here's what you will do. You gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Does that sound like partnership or setting them straight? It's a partnership that ends with them where they should be. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. At some future point, I'll preach through that. There's a whole principle there. And the last of all, share each other's burdens. Does that sound like partnership? It does, doesn't it? Share each other's burdens, and then this way you will be obeying the law of Christ. There are three ways that we can, the next steps that we can take this morning. And the first is this. You can memorize that passage of Scripture. It's got more than four words in it, so it'll take you longer than two minutes, all right? But I want to encourage you, if you take that portion of God's Word and you get it down in here where you can say it. By the way, memorize where it's found, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. That way, if you, if you ever forget it, you can actually go look it up, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Memorize that so it becomes part of the fabric of who you are. Okay. Secondly, you can do this. As I've been speaking, if God has brought to mind some, some relationship and, and He's brought it to your mind more than once in this talk, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, that is a relational struggle in my life, okay? Then this would be the week that you take some action. It doesn't mean that the first thing you do is go take action. What it means is you implement the process. Realize, I need to take action as soon as possible. I need to actually go get the facts and care enough to go get the facts. And instead of avoiding the problem, I need to run to the problem and find out what it is And then number three, I need to get myself in the healthy action zone so that the action that I take will actually help bring resolution. Okay, So you can do that. And then the third thing is, every Sunday we give people the opportunity to to make the decision to follow Christ with their life. Justin laid it out very clearly as he was talking about communion today. But the whole point of, of Christ coming to earth, he said it clearly, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And friend, that doesn't, that doesn't start by you learning what the healthy action zone is. As good as that is, that's great. But if you want your life transformed, it can only be transformed by making the decision to follow Christ. This will improve your life. Christ will transform your life. The message of the Bible is clear. 
And that is, Christ died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and so your life could be transformed. And friends, that begins by you making the decision to follow Christ with the rest of your life. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You can repeat it. You can say it quietly out loud or you can say it in your heart. But if you're ready to make that decision and you're ready to to follow Christ with the rest of your life, we're all going to bow our heads and here's the prayer that you pray. Jesus, I believe that your death paid for the penalty of my sin. I accept your forgiveness and I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In your name I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.